and we are live episode 107 coming at you from the beautiful Arizona your boy made the move from Seattle to the desert and uh you know what a ride it's been uh between the 10 hour one day 12 hour the next day drive to moving in getting my tv mounted the guy coming in and drilling a hole through the wall hitting the hvac line and messing up my ac all in the first week um it's it's been a roller coaster and i'll tell you what i do not recommend moving across the country all by yourself it is a ton of work and i'm a guy that likes to get all my shit handled i like to get it all done so i can you know get my work done get the podcast done my life stuff started jujitsu at gracie baja here in phoenix so a ton of stuff going on a little late on the podcast is it's saturday right before the fights this uh tonight but still wanted to crank out the content still come through for the fans as we get ready to rebrand which is my next task but yeah i mean it, it's been a crazy thing um the drive here was wild seeing some some territory i've never seen before um i guess it'd be southeast oregon going through like baker city uh don't recommend going there. That was like some KKK lookalike type of a place. Um, some white supremacy looking area. It seemed like everyone was twacked out. Actually being able to drive through Nevada, northern part of Nevada, having some mountains, some beautiful views there, kind of just across from the Salt Lake City area. Driving down through Vegas, which I've rented a car in Vegas and drove a little bit, but never drove into Vegas. You know, going through the Hoover Dam, about an hour out, it's literally like, Vegas vacation, cousin Eddie, people living in trailers. I don't know how they have it. They just plop their stuff there in trailers, RVs, campers, you name it. That was a sight to be seen. Uh, but living here in North Phoenix, loving the area so far. 80 degree day, you can't beat it. It's raining in the Northwest. Uh, but yeah, definitely, you know, it'd be nice to have a, a counterpart, a wifey or something to help someone fill up a house, drive the whole way. I did it all solo, but we out here, we putting out the content, repping the Avs today. Go Avs, go, as they, they're on a run for their second championship in a row. But yeah, it's been great. Like I said, enrolled in jiu-jitsu, wanting to be able to deliver a higher level analytical breakdown uh, with the jiu-jitsu. I've done some no-gi before. I, I feel like I'm pretty educated in jiu-jitsu, but being able to really understand the art you could speak to it a lot better if you're performing it. Plus, it's good for your health. Always trying to improve that. Uh, be the healthiest, best version of myself. And I highly recommend you guys doing the same thing. I'm going to be pushing jujitsu on everybody I know and meet. But yeah, I mean, that's pretty much the life updates. Living here in a sweet four-bedroom house. Got the pool. Uh, uh, got a lot of nice things going on. Um, but let's break down uh, the, the week prior's fight night card, this weekend's fight night card. We're at episode 107. We've been putting out the content before the rebrand. But before we talk MMA, let's talk the one and only sponsor here at Business and Buckets, and that's Field Supplements. And uh, Josh Morin right down, down the street, really. So uh, be able to connect with him. I'm excited to see what kind of things we could do. I'd like to do some fight companions, really just uh, add some flavor as we go to the MMA only side. But if it's not broken, why fix it? That's the inspiration behind Field Supplements' newest product, creatine monohydrate. So why would you guys wanna take creatine? Well, creatine monohydrate is one of the most well-researched and effective natural supplements ab available for increasing muscle performance. It cre uh, creatine enhances performance by supplying a pool 
of ATP, which acts as the muscle tissue's primary energy source for fuel during explosive bursts of energy, power, and strength. You get 100 servings. It's non-GMO, gluten-free, safe, and effective. You guys already know the deal. Go to fueledsupplements.com. Use the promotion code BUCKETS for 15% off. Once again, promotion code BUCKETS, B-U-C-K-E-T-S. But there's been quite a bit of things announced in the MMA world, some fun things going on with um, uh, the Jake Paul fight uh, recently happening. But we have uh, Zhang Mingyang versus Tyson Pedro booked for UFC 284. A lot of those big-time pay-per-views heading into 2023 are getting filled out. Uh, so Ming Yang, uh, a highly touted uh, prospect, Tyson Pedro, trying to improve his way coming back from injury. So that should be fun. We have Tatsuro Taira versus Jesus Aguilar. I mean, come on, that's going to be an awesome one. Um, I, I'm really excited for uh, Tatsuro and, and the way he showed out re uh, recently. So excited to see where he goes in his young career. Speaking of young fighters, Rosas Jr. booked already against Jay Perrin. That's happening December 10th. So um, the 18-year-old gracing the UFC octagon. You cannot write this shit up. And we're going to see more and more of this as these kids come right out of school. They go straight into MMA. They don't go into wrestling. They don't go into Muay Thai. They don't go into boxing. They go into MMA where they could find their foundations, find their arts, put it together, and, and make it MMA-focused, which is, is going to be very powerful. We have Jan Kutalaba versus Kennedy and Shukwu. That's going to be a banger. We got Ismail Bonfim versus Terrence McKinney. Can't wait to see T-Rex back at the octagon. Uh, David Onama squaring up against Jarno Ahrens. Um, Onama has been on, on quite the, 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 you know, the momentum train lately, so see if we can keep that continued. We have Tiago Moises versus Guram. Kuta Taladze, UFC 283. I mean, Guram is some high-level shit. Moises fighting anyone who's anyone. That's going to be a scrap. We got Joe Selecki and Benoit Saint-Denis. That should be a banger. Justin Taffa and Parker Porter for the big dogs. And Alex Caceres versus Julian Arosa. I'm really hyped up for that one. And um, not official yet. But Anthony Smith, Jamal Hill being finalized. I really hope that goes down. That will be a scrap for sure. And then other than that, Jason Witt announcing retirement. Great career by the very um, durable and gritty Jason Witt. And the roster has gone over some major moves this week as the UFC parts ways with Askar Askarov. Uh, most of this was, I guess, up to him and, and he wanting to get his health right. Uh, but that's a huge name and a... a a gatekeeper, so to speak, in the flyweight division that's no longer on the roster. No surprise here, uh, but uh, Misha Serkinov not being there. Kristoff Jotko released, which he's had some pretty high-level fights, some good wins. I was a little bit more surprised about that. And another young guy, Nick Maximov, um, you know, he suffered a couple losses of late. This last fight he got injured in, I'm sure he will be back in the UFC as he is a young fighter, shown a ton of potential under the Nick, uh, Nate Diaz army. Magomed Mustafaev, Cameron Van Camp, and Darian Weeks also released. So uh, a big makeshift, a big change of guard. Those are some good names, some, some guys who've had some UFC tenure um, being released from the roster. I do expect Maximov at least to be back. 
Askarov, who knows. And then Jake Paul this past weekend defeating Anderson Silva via unanimous decision. Um, supposedly the performance of the pay-per-view didn't do well with only a couple hundred thousand buys. Um, and in the undercard, Uriah Hall, ex-UFC veteran, defeating Le'Veon Bell, ex-Pittsburgh Steeler running back via unanimous decision. And props to Bell. I mean, he really showed out, performed better than I expected. And uh, props to Jake Paul. He showed a lot of growth, you know, some people could say it was a little closer than a unanimous decision, but I, I thought Jake Paul got the victory, especially with the late knockdown. Um, but, you know, he's boosting his legacy, obviously. Silva is, uh, you know, pretty up there in age, so I would love to see him fight an actual boxer or someone of his age. He's been trying to. We'll see what happens in the celebrity boxing era, but kind of a fun card, Jake Paul and Uriah Hall, the victors. But let's talk... UFC Fight Night Vegas 63. I went five and four on picks in this card, so not a, a very good card for me on my picks, but still coming up above 500. And a fight we didn't break down, but a good fight that uh, if you haven't watched back and can watch back on ESPN Plus, Jun Young Park with a second round submission over Joseph Holmes. I thought he showed out in that one. He looked pretty good. But we're going to start in the prelims where Steve Garcia got a first-round knockout over Chase Hooper. You know, obviously, I picked Chase Hooper. This busted my parlays early. And really just wanted to watch the growth of Hooper. You know, watch him as a striker, become more of a well-rounded fighter as he's really good on the ground, has good jiu-jitsu. He's only 23 years old, but this fight came out straight fire fight. He lent in, um, tried to fire back with, you know, Steve. And you could tell when he's trying to throw his power, he's very set in stone. His head's right down, the, right down the middle. You know, they tell you to keep your head off a line, keep that movement going. So when he's trying to throw these power shots, Steve has an easy target when he's moving more. And uh, uh, Chase definitely um, got teed off on by Garcia. And as usual, when Chase got knocked down, he was pulling guard. But Steve wasn't having that. He says, nah, I'm not going to join you down there. I'm going to keep it on the feet and let him back up. Obviously, Chase is young. He's got a lot of learning to do. And if he wants to be able to move up in the featherweight rankings, really has to improve as a fighter. Um, but this was this was a bad showing. You know, he, he got waxed right out the gate. This guy said, I'm going to be able to come in, and, come in and empower my will on this young blood. And he was able to do so. But statistically, Steve landed 31 total and 29 significant strikes with three knockdowns compared to Chase's 10 total and significant strikes. So Chase starts a new losing streak. He is three and three in the UFC overall. And Steve starts a new winning streak and he goes to two and two in the UFC. So what's next for these guys? I think for Steve, Steven Peterson would be a great matchup. And for Chase, Jamal Emmers makes sense. Um, you know, a guy a little bit lower in the rankings, someone for him to be able to further develop his skill on. But if I'm Chase, I'm going to the gym and I'm taking some time to really to really improve my craft. Then we had Marcos Rogerio de Lima with a first round submission over Andre Orlovsky. And this fight started with some big time strikes being thrown as well. And Marcos landed a huge shot, which isn't as normal. It was to the chest that pushed Orlovsky back. And uh, it, was, it wasn't a clean headshot, but he was able to land a big shot to Orlovsky's chest, put him down on the canvas, 
And right as that happened, he had Arlovsky up against the cage, was able to, while he's on the back, so, you know, he's kind of pinned back there. Once you're up against the cage, there's nowhere for you to shrimp out of or get hip separation. And he was able to get a nasty neck crake in to get the submission victory. Huge win for him. Tough loss for the veteran Arlovsky. And uh, f- for for Marcos, I mean, he had a, a, a very hard-fought battle against Bogoy Ivanov, who's in the top 15. Uh, I thought that could have gone either way. So this was a, a good victory with a, you know, a legendary name on his record. Statistically, Marcos landed 25 total and six significant strikes with a takedown and a submission attempt compared to Andre's three total and two significant strikes. Marcos starts a new winning streak and is one and one in 2022, while Andre has his four fight winning streak come to an end and he starts a new losing streak, which moves him to two and one in the calendar year of 2022. So what's next for these big dogs? For Andre, it's interesting. I mean, after this performance, I I think he could be close to retirement, but who knows with Andre? Um, It'll probably come down to how many fights he has left on his contract. And if he wants to tie Jim Miller for the most wins in the UFC history, that's a big accolade. But Jim Miller is still fighting. He just got a fight, or he's going to, I'm sure, have a fight booked here soon. And if he does fight again, um, I would say Rodrigo Nascimento would make sense. But for Marcos... How about Augusto Sakai? I think that would be a great matchup. A guy that was in the top 15 rankings as well, looking to get that momentum. That'd be a banger. But the headline of the prelims, we had Roman Dolidzi with a first-round knockout over Phil Haas. And this fight was full of action, man. Phil had a good duck under. He was able to get a takedown um, right out the gates. But Dolidzi was raining elbows while he was in his guard and had some nice, beautiful jujitsu down on the bottom. He was able to, to scramble, get Phil in a nasty leg lock, ended up blowing his knee out, um, and then was able to get the finishes, you know. Delitzi kind of gave him some respect, like, hey, his knee's bad. Phil just kept like, hey, let's keep going. I'm going to grit this out. And obviously, Phil's in a terrible position is that back leg. He had no leverage for his punches, and Delitzi just started teeing off and ended up getting the TKO victory. But that's just brutal, suffered the knee, Uh, I'm sure he blew at least the ACL, maybe more out. Um, So brutal, brutal for Phil, uh, but big, big win for Roman. Now, statistically, Phil landed 15 total and 11 significant strikes with a takedown compared to Roman's 29 total and 18 significant strikes. He also had a knockdown and a submission attempt of his own. So Roman extends his winning streak to three. He's 2-0 this calendar year in 2022. And Phil starts a new losing streak and goes to 1-1 one one in 2022. So what's next? Well, I think Roman versus Anthony Hernandez would be a battle. And for Phil, I would love to see him uh, square up against Bruno Silva. But we'll have to see with the knee. He might be out for quite some time. But then moving on into the main card, we had Khalil Roundtree Jr. with a split decision over Dustin Jacoby. And this fight was high level. High volume. I thought that Jacoby won round one. Although Khalil did have some bigger shots, he was just controlling the middle of the octagon. He pushed the pace and uh, led in strikes landed. But this has been the big debate. We talked about this last week before I left. Um, I- I'm going to have to do some research and see what you know the official quote-unquote scoring is. But I really think it comes down to the, d- to the judges. In my mind... 
the, the, the days of, you know, controlling the octagon, control time, wrestling, um, pushing the pace, it, it really doesn't hold much value. What really holds value is damage, right? So although you might be in the middle of the octagon, the other guy's just sitting there circling and you're pushing the pace, you're controlling the center. Maybe you take them down and you get on top of them. Unless you're throwing submissions, you're doing ground and pound, you're landing damage. They just don't give you a lot of credit. So um, I, I, I do feel like the scoring's you know unofficially changed. And I think that's probably come down from Dana. Hey, this sells more. Let, let, let's make sure that we're scoring the damage uh, people victorious. The fighters are becoming aware of that. And obviously us as fans that watch the fights uh, week in and week out um, are, are able to get visuals into that and are seeing that happen before us. But um, that's not technically how, how the MMA scoring is. So it, it's kind of interesting. In the, the proper terms of the round, I would give it to J Dustin. But Khalil had more damage. So, you know, how do you score that? But round two, I mean, it was as close as it gets here. Uh, round three had more consistent big shots landing. And then round three, they really started to slow down because of the amount of volume they had was just preposterous. You know, it was a fun fight to watch, that's for sure. Um, but they continued the firefight. They kept kickboxing each other. Dustin definitely was wearing the damage on his face because at the round uh, end of round two, Khalil was able to really get a big shot that rattled him. And I think that that um, carried over to the next round and had a lot of that damage on his face. Um, but I just thought Khalil was really smooth in the third round by picking his shots. He wasn't being too aggressive. He was kind of taking his time, finding the openings. He was able to read how Dustin was coming at him throughout the fight. And um, really, this fight was as close as it gets. I mean, we look at the stats. Um, Jacoby landed 122 total and 120 stri significant strikes. He was 0 for 3 in takedowns, while Khalil had 88 total and 85 significant strikes. So both guys technically, you know, all their strikes were damn near significant in the scoring. I mean, this is the UFC stat page. That's not always accurate. But again, this comes from somebody, right, a judge or whoever. And um, obviously, Jacoby's volume was there. So you look at the stats, you'd think Jacoby, you know, probably had the, the benefit of the doubt, but that wasn't the case. Again, is this official changes in scoring? I've never seen anything come in. I'm gonna, I'm gonna definitely deep dive into this a little bit bigger. But I think this has really come down from the heads of the UFC saying, hey, this is how we want to score winners, right? The Sean O'Malley fight was a great example. Um, Khalil extends his winning streak though. He does uh, to three, two of them this year, while Dustin has his impressive eight fight winning streak come to an end. Um, the rankings haven't updated. They're supposed to update every Tuesday. It still has him in 13 in the rankings. I'm not sure what the deal is with that. We'll see if maybe they just took a week off of the rankings updates. But that doesn't really make sense to me. I'm assuming they would put Khalil potentially in the rankings, maybe Dustin out, or at least back a few spots, but to be determined. So what's next? Well, how about Jacoby versus Vulcan Ozdemir? I mean, come on. That would be a ton of fun. And... Um, how about Khalil versus Azamat um, Mirzakhanov? I think that would be a ton of fun. Either way, I'm tuning in both times these guys get in the, the octagon because it's typically a kickboxing affair. And then we had Treshawn Gore with a second round submission over Josh Fremd. And to me, this was all about Gore showing off his wrestling and grappling. He dominated round one right away. 
And in round two, he was somehow able to get this wild guillotine choke that pushed Josh to sleep. He tried putting his feet up on the cage, getting out of it. He, he kept locking it in, got the finish. And uh, what a performance. I mean, Sean Gore was desperate for a win, and he fucking delivered. Statistically, it only took him 14 total and 10 significant strikes with three takedowns and four attempts. And he also had that submission attempt. Josh only landed 27 total and 24 significant strikes, and he was 0-1 in his own takedown attempts. So Gore starts a new winning streak. He is 1-2 in 2022, while Josh is on a two-fight losing streak, which makes him 0-2 in the UFC. Definitely a tough start. Uh, but Gore showcased why he was hyped up in the Ultimate Fighter House, right? He was hyped up. He was Mr. Vicious. He got hurt. They gave him another shot against battle. He didn't get the victory. Uh, but he got a desperately needed win, and you could tell he was feeling him a little, feeling himself a little bit in the post-fight uh, um, interview. So what's next? I think a, a great matchup would be ex Dana White Contender Series alum Dusko Todorovic versus the Ultimate Fighter alum Trayshawn Gore. I mean that that's must see. Uh, two guys still, you know, getting a win, but needing to keep that momentum going if they want to, you know get into the top 15 rankings and really make a name for themselves. And for Josh, if he still is in the UFC, Gilbert Urbina makes sense, who was also in the Ultimate Fighter. Then we had some big guys. We had Waldo Cortez Acosta with a unanimous decision over Jared Vandera. And clearly, you know, Waldo recently from the Dana White Contender Series, an ex-boxer, You'd think Jared, who's been in the UFC for a while, would try to eliminate his strength, right? Maybe grapple him, maybe put him up against the cage and dirty box him, maybe even get your jiu-jitsu going, uh, some grappling. But that wasn't the case at all. He let Waldo picket him, control the middle of the octagon, control the pace, and it just didn't work out for him. I mean, the first round and a half, he was just standing there without any volume, letting Waldo tee off, and I just didn't think that was a very good game plan, and it could very well have him off the UFC roster. The only real thing Jared had working for him was some calf kicks, and he definitely had some success, as you could see it was affecting Waldo, but he should have looked for the takedown, or if you're affecting the calf early, keep attacking the damn calf. At the end of round two, Waldo landed a big shot that rocked him, had him bloodied, um, but late round three after more boxing, Waldo was salsoing, he's a salsa, salsa boy, and he coasted to victory and was definitely filling himself. Statistically, uh, Waldo landed 73 significant in total strikes compared to Jared's 59 total and 56 significant, and he was 0-1 in takedown attempts. So Waldo extends his winning streak to 7. He's 2-0 in the UFC. For Jared, he's on a five-fight losing streak, and his days in the UFC are definitely dwindling. But what's next? For Waldo, I think Chris Barnett would be a ton of fun. We get the, the salsa man and the, the, the flying, you know, hill, hill kick, cartwheel kick, son of a gun. And for Jared, if he does have another shot in the UFC, Zach Pauga would be the fight to make another Ultimate Fighter alum. And then we had the co-main. What a fight this was. Max Griffin with a split decision over Tim Means. And this was another fight. I mean, it's, it's really as close as it gets. Uh, Max stole round one. He had a big right hand that knocked Tim down. 
It was a back-and-forth high-level striking affair, as expected from two veterans. But round two was quick out the gates. Tim pushed Mac up, Max up against the cage, and Max was throwing counter shots. Tim led the, the total strikes and, and volume in that round, and uh, Max was definitely more patient. Until about 30 seconds left in the round, he tagged Means with that big left hand, got on top of him, and, and uh, really was trying to smother him as he tried to recover. Got saved by the bell. Round three, Tim came out aggressive again. He tried to get the takedown, but Max got a nice reversal, got his own takedown. He was able to pretty much control most of the round. Tim was able to fight out because he's fucking Tim Means, and uh, Max was able to get him right back down. With about 15 seconds left, Tim got out, but it was too little too late. Uh, Max got the split decision victory. Statistically, Tim landed a pretty high amount of strikes. I mean, he had 143 total, but only 47 significant with three takedowns and five attempts. And Max had 56 total, but 42 of those significant with three takedowns and a knockdown. Again, stats can be misleading. It shows that Tim has more significant, but the big damaging, the big moments were definitely owned by Max in that, that fight. And they both had three, three takedowns, but Max had the knockdown. So Max starts a new winning streak. He's one and one in 2022, while Tim extends his losing streak to two, both of them in 2022 as well. I thought it was a great tough fight from both fighters. They, you know, they've always done this throughout their career. They showed grit. They showed determination. And neither fighter is an easy out and, and will continue to, to be that way, that's for sure. But next for these guys, I'm saying Max, Max Payne Griffin, Randy Brown. Sheesh. I mean, that would be a fucking scrap. And meanwhile, how about Tim versus Francisco Trinaldo, another veteran, that would be a blast. Fight fans would love to see that one. And to be honest, I mean, for a fight night card, this card did show out. But the headliner really, you know, kind of just left a, a sour impression on the card. Arnold Allen with the second round TKO over Calvin Cater. And it was a bummer because Calvin's knee, you know, went out in the fight. Um, almost got called early. Um, in, or, you know, late in round one. Round two comes, they let him fight. Cater's trying to let, you know handle himself on his leg. Arnold hits it again, sweeps him down, knocks him down. The ref calls it clean T TKO, finished by leg kicks. And uh, although we didn't see a lot, I thought we got to see Arnold land some big shots. Uh, he he was able to put his hands on Cater um, before you know he he hurt his knee. Um, Either way you slice it, I think we already know that. Already know that, but he is going to be a problem in that division, and I can't wait to see his next few fights in the octagon uh, because this is where it's really, you know, what where is the potential Arnold? I think this this fight and the last fight we really got to see a, a peak to it, but I want to see a full fight of what he can do. Statistically, Calvin only landed 14 total insignificant strikes compared to Arnold's 28 total insignificant. And Calvin extends his losing streak to two. He's one and two um, this year, while Arnold extends his winning streak to 12 and is undefeated in the UFC. I'm not sure, again, with the rankings, what's going on. It still says Calvin at five, Arnold at six, but I'm sure we will see that, um, you know, 
you know, make, make a change here quickly. But what's next? I mean, I would love to see Arnold Allen take on Volkanovsky. I mean, that I, I think he's deserving 12 freaking fight win streak. Um, although this was an injury of a very big name and, um, you know, Volkanovsky is pretty much taking care of the rest of the division. That is if he doesn't fight Islam. No, he could fight Islam. Um, if that's the case, how about Max Holloway, Arnold Allen? I mean, come on, why not? Right. Unless Max moves divisions, uh, he's not going to get another shot at Volkanovsky anytime soon. So let's see if Arnold really deserves the title shot by, by, by fighting, um, Holloway. Either way, though, I mean, can you imagine Arnold Allen, uh, Volkanovsky or Max Holloway? Those are some scraps, some scraps. And for Calvin, I definitely think he's probably going to be out for some time. He's battled a lot of injuries uh, lately in his career. But uh, I would love to see him scrap, uh, square up against Brian Ortega. That would be nutty. Stylistically, that would be a ton of fun. But tonight, here in a couple hours, actually, you can see it's starting to, to get dark. It gets, it gets uh, dark here pretty early right now. Uh, but we have Fight Night Vegas 64 with a 3 p.m. Pacific start on ESPN+. couple fights that I won't break down but are going to be worth watching. I'll make sure I'll tune into. We have Ludwig Shinolian versus Johnny Munoz and Derek Minner versus Shailan Nuberenbiki. Uh, so um, we're going to kick this thing off in the prelims, though. We got Mario Batista, the 29-year-old fighter with a 10-2 record, taking on Benito Golden Boy Lopez, the 28-year-old fighter with a 10-1 record. Now, Mario looked great in his last fight versus Brian Kelleher, and I'm excited to see him continue to grow. I've been watching him as he trains out of the MMA lab with the Sugar Show, Kyler Matrix Phillips, they got a lot of young bloods in the bantamweight division. So obviously, Mario trains out of the MMA lab. He is on a two-fight winning streak. He is an LFA alum, and four of his 11 wins are via submission. Now, Benito trains out of Team Alpha Male. He's on a one-fight winning streak, and he is 2-1 in the UFC. His one loss was via submission. He's a Dana White Contender Series, King of the Cage, and Bellator alum. I honestly think Mario's more well-rounded, and he's going to showcase that in this fight. The way he submitted Brian Kelleher, I was massively impressed. You could see him taking leaps in his development because he fought some pretty tough fighters early on in his career and wasn't able to hang. Uh, but I'm going to take Mario. We put him on that parlay. We marking that ish down, and we getting that bread. Moving on. We have Miranda Fear the Maverick, 25 years old with a 12-4 and four record, taking on Shanna the Shanimal Young, 31-year-old fighter with a 9-5 and five record. Now, Miranda was really hyped up coming into the UFC. She suffered a few tough losses of late, but it was against good competition, and now she's looking to get that momentum and getting that hype back. When we look at it, she trains out of Team Elevation. She's a brown belt in BJJ. She's an Invicta alum. She's on a one-fight winning streak, and six of, her, of her 11 wins are via submission. Now, Shanna trains at a syndicate MMA. She's a black belt in karate, a blue belt in BJJ. She is a King of the Cage alum and former champion, and also an alum of Invicta and Dana White Contender Series. And she's on a one-fight winning streak. Now, I'd expect that Miranda's going to grapple Shanna and potentially get a submission finish, 
I do think she is the better fighter and is going to get some good learning experience here. I would see, you know, expect her to get the finish within three. But I'm taking Miranda. We're putting her on our parlay. We marking that ish down and we getting that bread. Moving on in the main card. This is going to be a fun one. We have Grant KG Dawson, uh, KGD Dawson, the 28 year old fighter with an 18 one and one record taking on Mark the Olympian Madsen, 38 years old with a 12 and 0 record. Now, this is a very interesting fight. Grant has looked great, especially lately, and Mark's undefeated, but he really hasn't fought the level of fighter that Grant is, in my opinion. And I believe Grant's definitely the better striker, but we're going to see if his grappling can match the Olympians. I believe that Mark is going to get the takedowns and volume, and if Grant can avoid being taken down and smothered throughout the fight and pretty much controlled, he's going to have a good path to victory. Now, Grant trains out of American Top Team. He's a black belt in BJJ. He's a Dana White Contender Series and Titan FC alum. He is on a nine-fight winning streak, and there was a draw in there as well, and 12 of his 18 wins are via submission. His one loss was via knockout. While Mark uh, trains out of Fight Ready, he's a Greco-Roman wrestling silver medalist in 2016 and got the bronze in the European World Championships in 2004. He is also undefeated and 4-0 in the UFC. Now, this is a big-time prove-it fight, for, definitely for both fighters. I like the experience that Dawson has in the UFC. I do expect this to be a close fight. I'm sure it'll be on the canvas and in a boxing affair. I'm going to take Grant Dawson, but I'm avoiding him on a parlay if, if necessary. Then we have Tagir Ulenbekov, the 31-year-old fighter with a 14-2 record, taking on Nate Mayhem Manis, the 31-year-old fighter with a 14-2 record. Now, what's really interesting in this fight is Nate just lost to Umar Nurmagomedov, who trains with Tagir. And that was a pretty decent fight. Uh, but obviously, Umar was quite quite the better fighter. I think Tagir is going to be able to find a way to grapple and finish Nate. I expect Nate to battle through this. He is tough. He is dropping down in divisions. Um, but I'm sure there's going to be some some team you know notes transferred to Tagir from Umar. When we look at Tagir, typical, right? He trains out of AKA. Uh, he has a sambo uh, style. He got the gold medal at the World Combat Sambo Championships in 2014. He is coming off a loss to Tim Elliott, which was his first loss in the UFC. And six of his 13 wins are via submission. Meanwhile, Nate is a blue belt in BJJ. This is his flyweight debut. He's on a one-fight losing streak, which was to Umar. And five of his 13 wins are via knockout. Team AKA is just on another level, though, right? Um, they've been dominating all the Nurmagomedovs, you know, DC and them just always bragging about that squad. And I think Tagir is going to be a problem for the flyweight division. I expect him to get the job done. We're putting Tagir on that parlay. We marking that ish down, and we getting that bread. Moving on. We got Chase the Vanilla Gorilla Sherman. 32-year-old fighter with a 16-10 record, taking on Josh Parisian 
the 33-year-old fighter with a 15-5 record. Now, this is going to be a banger. Both fighters are coming off wins, but are in desperate for a string of wins and momentum in the UFC. Chase has already been released and has come back. Chase is an orthodox fighter. He trains out of Killcliffe FC, which, again, if you're not aware, used to be Sanford. Uh, he has a blue, purple belt in kickboxing, a blue belt in BJJ. He's a Titan FC alum. Again, been in and out of the UFC. He was even a BKFC alum and former champion. He's on a one-fight winning streak, and 15 of his 16 wins are via knockout. Now, Josh, he's a King of the Cage, LFA, Dana White Contender Series, and Ultimate Fighter alum. He's on a one-fight winning streak. 11 of his 15 wins are via knockout, and he's 3-2 and two in the UFC. I really like what I saw from Chase in his last bout. He's shown some improvement. Obviously, this is going to be a, a firefight, and someone's going to go out sleeping. I'm taking the Vanilla Gorilla. I'm putting him on that parlay. We marking that ish down. And we get in that bread. Now, what a co-main event we have. We get Neil, the Haitian sensation Magni, 35 years old with a 26-10 record, taking on Daniel D-Rod Rodriguez, the 35-year-old with a 17-2 record. Now, I expect Neil to bring the pressure and volume against D-Rod here. Daniel is taking this fight after fighting Li Jingliang, in that catchweight bout in September, um, which many people, including myself, thought Lee had won. And Lee put out a lot of volume. Well, Neil Magny puts out some freaking volume. Neil trains out of Elevation Fight Team. He's got a brown belt in BJJ. He has a six-inch reach advantage, and he is tied for the most wins in a calendar year with five. He's got the most decision wins in UFC history with 13. He has the longest fight time in UFC welterweight history with over five and a half hours. He is tied for the most wins in UFC welterweight history. He's on a one fight losing streak. Seven of his 26 wins are via knockout and five of his nine losses are via submission. Daniel, he's a Southpaw fighter. He trains out a syndicate MMA. He's a purple belt in BJJ. And he's a Bellator, King of the Cage, and Dana White Contender Series alum. Now, Neil is a volume stud, man. If he doesn't find the finish, I expect him to outpoint Daniel in this fight in a decision victory. Rodriguez is tough, and he is hard to finish, though. So I wouldn't be surprised if it went all three. But I'm confident in the Haitian sensation. I'm putting Magni on that parlay. We marking that ish down, and we getting that bread. Moving on for the main event, and quite a main event we have in the women's division. We have Marina Rodriguez, the 35-year-old fighter with a 16-1-2 record, taking on Amanda Lemos, the 35-year-old fighter with a 12-2-1 record. Again, I think this is going to be a big-time fight with major consequences in the women's strawweight division. Both women are impressive runs. They're in their primes. So I think we're going to get a great showing for the main event. I also love that we get to see these badass women go five rounds. I'm all for it. I think we're going to see a striking clinic. Marina is a purple belt in BJJ. She's a Dana White Contender Series alum. And she has a dark blue um, 
with black tip belt in Muay Thai. She's on a very impressive four-fight winning streak, including Yan Shenyon, Mackenzie Dern, Michelle Watterson, and Amanda Ribas. And six of her 16 wins are via knockout. Amanda, she's a Jungle Fight alum. She's a former champ with two successful title defenses. She is on a one-fight winning streak, and eight of her 12 wins are via knockout. I haven't seen a woman outstrike Marina, just really grapple, outgrapple her. Rodriguez really doesn't need to worry about Amanda trying to wrestle, I don't think. And I think she's going to be more precise and quicker than Amanda. I expect her to want to, you know, stay out of Lamos's range because she does have serious power. For a woman, eight of her 12 wins via knockout, that shit's ridiculous. So you got to keep yourself out of range. If Lamos can land some of her power shots, it could be a short night for Marina. But I'm not betting on that. Rodriguez has taken some big shots. She's been really good at delivering them a late. I'm going to go with the hot hand. I'm going with Rodriguez. I'm putting Marina on that parlay. We marking that ish down and we getting that bread. And then next Saturday, super stoked for this. We have another pay-per-view event, UFC 281 in New York, Madison Square Garden. Does it get bigger and better than that? It's the annual MSG card. In one of the most dramatic hyped fights in quite some time, we have Israel Adesanya versus Alex Payetta, one of the more rounded out cards, you know, middle of November, early November, prepping us for the holidays. Can't wait. Uh, but that's episode 107. Thanks for tuning in. We're out here in the desert. Next week, I'll have my studio set up, my mountain mural wallpaper back, back in the studio. But I wanted to come out here, do it by the pool, how to pump out the content for you guys. See you next week and go abs, go.